Welcome to Sunday Morning at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Pastor Goss. Good morning. Glad you joined us today. It's a Palm Sunday. It's a great week for the Christian, an understanding of what our faith is all about. We've been in a series that we've entitled The Answer To. We've talked about worry, and we've talked about fear, and we've talked about not knowing what to do. Today, what we're going to talk about is the answer to sin. This whole week, this whole time is about this answer. Because you see, what's the biggest problem in the world today? It's not the coronavirus. It's sin. Sin is the issue that we have to deal with. Well, this week is a great week, and what I want to do here with you today is take you on a little journey to recreate the steps of Jesus on that week, at that time, beginning when, when he entered into the city and all that transpired. So if you got some notes there and you found them, hope you have your communion elements close by. We'll get to them in a moment. Let's begin this today, and we're going to begin with the people have a wrong expectation. That's where it all starts. John chapter 12, verse 12, the next day the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city, and a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches, went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, hail to the King of Israel. You see, what they were looking for was a king. They wanted someone who was going to come, after all, that's what the Messiah should do, and get rid of the Romans and reestablish Israel as its own nation once again that dominates. Jesus didn't come to deal with an external power. Jesus came to deal with an internal power. It's not about what's on the out, outside. It's what's on the inside. And so all the people gather. They think, this is the king. This is the moment. This is what's going to happen. And so there's excitement that's going on in the midst of all of this hubbub of what's taking place. Secondly, there's a great excitement among the people because of that. It, it, they're all there. They're thinking this is going to be it. But there's another thing that's happening as well. Not only are they expecting him to do this, and by the way, when your expectations get out of line and God doesn't meet your expectations, it's usually not very good because you usually blame him for not doing what you think he should, not acting in a manner that you expected. And so many times in life, it's not that we have the disappointments, it's we got the wrong expectations of what's going to happen. And so they expected this. With that expectation comes an excitement that's among the people. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb. Just happened a few days previous. Raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. And that was the reason so many went out to meet him. What's the reason they're there? They want to see the show. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. They've heard about it. Some of them have seen it. Wow, this is great. Maybe something else will happen again. They had heard about the miraculous sign. And so they're there. They're filled with excitement because they think maybe someone's going to happen. It wasn't that just, hey, Jesus is coming. No, that, that was a part of it. But there was much more to it. We expect him to do this. And he's done this. And maybe that'll happen again. And so that's the setting for the day. And then the crowd expresses their joy. They begin to give him praise. They begin to declare his greatness. They're singing. Why? They're excited. They think this is the moment. Luke chapter 19, verse 36. He rode along and the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. 
And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Now, it's great to praise God for the miracles. Don't get me wrong. That's something we should do because God's done a lot of great things in our lives. Some of them we can classify as miracles, but they really are. And so they're praising God for that. They're saying, blessings on the king. There he is, who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees who were there among the crowd, they said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. In other words, I'm worthy of praise. I'm worthy of this honor. God expects us to praise Him. God expects us to give Him the joy of our life and to declare His greatness and His goodness to us. So here He is coming down this road. The people are expecting something to happen. They're excited about all of that's going on, and they're singing great praises to God. That had to be some scene to see the, the crowd that was there and how everything was playing out. Now, as they're doing that, Jesus has an empathy for the people. You see him going through this time, and you see him going down the road, and he understands what's going on. He sees through them. He knows what's happening. He knows what's going to happen. And what he does here in Luke chapter 19, as he came closer to Jerusalem, and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. We only have one other record in Scripture where he wept, and that was at the graveside of Lazarus. He weeps. Why? How I wish today that all people would understand the way to peace. Boy, isn't that a great thing? Shouldn't that still be true today? But now, it's too late. Peace is hidden from your eyes. You're too blind to see it. You're caught up on everything else. I've been around for several years you haven't accepted it. And he begins to weep over the city. He cares about it. He cares about the people. He still cares today. Because the Bible tells us he doesn't want anyone to perish. He says, I want you to have my peace. Today, no matter what you're going through and where you're at, especially in the times that we're living in, we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. God wants you to have peace in the midst of everything that's going on. There's no reason not to. He's in control. He cares. He's able. And then, once that happens, he begins to explain his kingdom. He comes to that place where he begins to, for the next several days, he begins to teach people. You find him all throughout the city, around the temple area, for the next several days, teaching Jesus entered the temple. Once he gets into the city, he begins to drive out the, the people selling animals for sacrifices. Now, this in and of itself isn't wrong because it was one of the things that went on. If you had to offer a sacrifice and you coming from a long distance and couldn't bring the animal with you, you could buy one. What was probably extortion was going on. They were charging way far too much. They were just filling their pockets with everything. And Jesus calls them out on it. And he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves. Notice what it says. After that, he taught daily in the temple, but the leading priest, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders of the people began 
planning on how to kill him. But they couldn't think of nothing because all the people hung on to every word he said. A lot of the Gospels, even though you maybe don't know it, is filled with teachings of Jesus during this time frame, several chapters. And so during the time of him being in the city between his triumphal entry, what we call it, and his crucifixion, he is around still teaching about the kingdom, still calling people to follow, still doing everything that he can to get people to understand about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near. It's here for you. Do you understand it? I've come for you. And Jesus gives his disciples an example. When it comes down to these last moments, he tells his disciples, look, there's a room. We're going to go there. We're going to celebrate the Passover together. And we think of it, everything is just about, well, it's just about the, the communion. But a lot happened as they were in that upper room, in that room participating in this moment. And one of them is an example that Jesus wanted to make sure his followers got. He knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and that he would turn to God. Boy, that's confidence, isn't it? That, that's a, just a way, great way to live. He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. You know the story. Peter said, no, no, not me. I'm not worthy. And Jesus said, look, if I don't do this, you're not going to be who you need to be. And Peter said, well, then wash me all. And so he washes their feet. At the end of that, he says, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. In other words, what Jesus is saying, look, I've called you to lead, and you're going to lead by serving. You're not going to lead by having a prominent place. You're not going to lead by getting some title or position. Remember, the two uh, sons of Zebedee came to Jesus and with their mom, and they wanted to know, hey, when you get into the kingdom, can I sit on your left and your right, and can we be there and rule with you? And Jesus kind of, you get it all wrong. It's not one where you rule, it's one where you serve. And that's still the truth today. And he says, look, I've done this. I've given you this example. I want you to follow me. And he still says that to us today. The example is we serve. We serve others. We serve by serving God. And we come to that place where we recognize this is what Jesus wants more than anything else. He wants us to be an example like he was. And then he establishes a new precedent. He changes things up at this moment. From this moment on, things are to look different. Now, his disciples would wrestle with this. They wouldn't fully understand it because they didn't really get everything right away. But notice in Matthew chapter 26, he says, look, they were eating. You know, they were just doing the Passover. They'd done it before, yearly. He took some bread and blessed it. He broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples. Take this, eat it. This is my body. Now that probably got their attention. And then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and he said, each of you drink from it. 
For this is my blood which confirms the covenant, which confirms that things have changed. The old covenant, the Old Testament is gone. The New Testament has arrived. The new covenant I have with you. Things are different now. The new covenant between God and His people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I'll not do this again with you until the day I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. We're not going to do this down here anymore. What we're going to do is something completely different. And this won't happen again until we celebrate in heaven. They sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Paul, talking about this moment, gave us some instruction as well that he had received from Jesus himself. Paul says this way, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. You see, you've got some elements there with you. I have some here. It's not the elements that we worship. It's not the elements that are important. What's important is reminding ourselves, this is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's provided a new way of living, a new way to operate. And we're to remember and celebrate and announce, Jesus Christ died and he's coming again. That's a great understanding. And we'll talk some more about that next week. And so he, he does that. Now the moment in time in that room is done, the meals come to an end, and Jesus endures excruciating pain. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, down from Jerusalem, the upper room, down through that Kidron Valley again, back up to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he walked away about a stone's throw, walked away from the disciples that were with him. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Take it away. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. It's okay to ask God to remove the things that are creating conflict in your life. But there has to be a heart that says, God, this is what I want. But whatever you want, that's what I want more. And whatever you do. And he asked. Tells us then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. That's agony. That's pain. He's just, his heart was breaking. He knew what was before him. He knew the pain that was coming. He knew how difficult this would be. He understood the price that was going to be paid. And yet he was willing to endure whatever he needed to endure so that he could purchase for us our salvation. Sometimes we get a little whiny when pain comes around. Sometimes when we're doing what's right, we complain about, oh, I got to do this and I don't like this and I wish this was different and I shouldn't have to go through this and everything. And we forget this world involves suffering. Sometimes we suffer because of our choices. Sometimes because of choices of others. Sometimes it's just because we're serving God. But we remain faithful serving, knowing that no matter what, I'm going to serve and Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, 
but I want what you want more than anything else. He agonized over this. This created grief in him. This created a moment of just unbelievable pain in his body and in his heart. And then, (laughs) unbelievable, all the disciples evacuate. All of them leave. Here he is in the midst of a darkest hour, the hardest time. And what happens? The ones that were closest to him bailed on him. Sometimes in life that happens to us, doesn't it? Sometimes in the midst of our most difficult times, the people we were counting on the most aren't there. But yet, Jesus understood that. He knew it was going to happen. He knew it was in the future because it tells us that as they sang a hymn and left the room that they ate the Passover in, they went out to the Mount of Olives and on the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. All of you are going to leave me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Then after Jesus was arrested, after the crowd came, after Judas betrayed him, Jesus says, look, am I that dangerous to you? Am I a revolutionary here? You're afraid I'm going to overthrow Rome? And, and they were. That you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. I was there doing that. But these things are happening to fulfill what the Scripture said. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. Life gets lonely sometimes. And sometimes it gets lonely even when you're doing what God wants you to do. And you have to remain faithful because God understands and God cares and God will be there to help you through your dark hours. Never forget that. God is never alone. People may desert you, but God never will. And then Jesus is executed. They take him away. The Pharisees meet. They put him in a dungeon. They get him up early the next day. They take him before Pilate, before Herod, pass back and forth, kangaroo court. Finally, just to calm the crowd and everything, Pilate says, okay, go ahead, kill him. Matthew 27, 28, they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him. They wore wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter and they knelt before him in mockery and taunted him hail king of the Jews they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it and when they were finally tired of mocking him this went on for a long time they took off the robe and put on his own clothes on him again And then they led him away to be crucified. They put him on a cross. They put a little sign above it, King of the Jews. People walk by and spit on him and taunt him. Soldiers mock him. But then, at the end, Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Nothing a man could do. 
the earth shook. Rocks split apart. The earth didn't just shake a little. Tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. People came back to life. And they left to the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. And the Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened and all that they knew that was going on. And they said, this man truly was the Son of God. What a week. What a way to spend your last week on earth. Wouldn't be one I would choose. One moment being praised and everybody excited to see you and wanting you to come and looking forward to your presence and in a matter of a few days, everybody's gone. Nobody's around. He's convicted even though he's innocent and he's hung on a cross and he dies for you and I. That's Palm Sunday. That's Palm Week. But there's one more point here. The crucifixion enables us to live victoriously. Because Jesus Christ died, we live. We don't just exist. We don't just make it through. We are victorious. Because of that cross, because of Jesus' willingness to die there and to go there, you and I have victorious life. What's the answer to sin? It's the cross. It's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That is the answer that is given to us all throughout Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He never sinned. He never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. That's something to think about. He carried all of my sins, all of your sins on the cross. So why did he do that? That we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Because he was willing to die for me. Because he took my sins there. My sins have been dealt with. And now I'm forgiven. And now I come to that place where what he did for me allows me to deal with the problem of sin. It's because of his death on a cross. Paul writes in Colossians, he says, look, if you'll believe that, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. And all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And we also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Anybody here need a little endurance and a little patience? It's all there. 
may you be filled with joy. Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to all of God's people. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. What a great God. The biggest need in the world is the answer to sin. And Jesus Christ answered it. Jesus Christ defeated it. Jesus Christ won the battle over it. Jesus Christ did that so that you and I could live victoriously. That's what this week is about. It's about someone dying on my behalf. Someone doing what I was, could not do. He was perfect. I'm not. He was willing to go the extra mile so that I could be free. Because you see, what sin does, it separates us from God. And God says, look, I love you so much. I don't want to be separated from you. I'm going to allow Christ to die on a cross to pay the price for your sins so that you, by believing in him, can have everlasting life. And you and I are no longer separated, but now we're together. That's what we celebrate. And that's why we take communion, to remind us of this fact so that we don't miss the point like a lot of people did at that time. So you've got your elements there. I have some here and I want you to go now and begin to take yours, get them handy. And come to that place where you have them and you know what? This isn't a normal wafer that we hold in our hands. It might be a piece of bread, cracker, cookie, but it's not about the wafer. What we hold in our hands is a reminder to us of how the body of Jesus Christ was beaten and battered and broken for you and me. He willingly allowed his body to be hung on a cross so that I could live victoriously. And as we put this in our mouth, it's not just a normal element. It is you and I confessing that the body of Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice for my sins. That's what we believe. Shall we eat together? It tells us then that he took a cup and he said to them, this is my blood which is shed for you. And every time you drink, remember me. Not a normal cup. It doesn't really matter what's in it. It can be juice, it can be water. But whatever it is right now, it now represents the blood of Christ. Jesus said that without his blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin.
He says, I'm willing to give my blood for you. His death is my victory. And we drink this because we believe that the blood of Jesus has the power to forgive us of our sins. And by drinking that, we confess that we are forgiven and our future is certain. Shall we drink today?
Father, what we've just done is declare our belief. We've taken elements, not the normal ones, but meanings the same. We believe. We believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. And that when I believe in him, I get to live a victorious life. I know there's a great future. And so Lord, we thank you today for the victory that we have and the life that we get to live because of the crucifixion. Help us to live to honor your name and help us to live with the forgiveness and the freedom that you have for us. Thank you. In that name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Sunday morning at 815 and 1045 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next week for Sunday Morning. Faith Assembly Sunday Morning is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.